we have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. A new world order. Child sex trafficking. The deep state is trying to destroy Donald Trump's presidency. Loose the battle plans of heaven. It's all about control. Broadcasting live to the world now. It's the weekend vigilante, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this June 6, 2017. Well, today's a really important day. It was on the beaches of Normandy 73 years ago that the Allies stood and fought against tyranny in a giant undertaking unparalleled in human history. My grandfather was one of those. He was a highly decorated head of the tank division. He stormed those beaches in Normandy, got shot. Think about the courage, the valor, the gallant bravery, and the strength that contributed to a victory on the Western Front in the largest seaborne invasion ever attempted in history. You know, folks, may we commemorate this day by doing our very best to uphold in our own lives the values and godly ideals that those before us were prepared to die for. The travail of freedom and justice does not come easy. So today, we salute those who have underwritten our freedom by their selfless service. We, the living, the beneficiaries of those who made tremendous sacrifices for the advancement and surety of our liberty, must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. May God bless our veterans and our soldiers, past, present, and future. So today, I salute you veterans. I salute our fighting men and women, and I ask God to protect every one of them. Let us never forget. You know, this show really is the pinnacle of conservatism and Christianity. And I always liked what Mark Levine said years ago, and I never forgot this quote. He said, conservatism is the antidote to tyranny. It's the only one. It's based on thousands of years of human experience There is nothing narrow about the conservative philosophy. It's a liberating philosophy. It's a magnificent philosophy. It is a philosophy for the ages, for all times. And I could not agree more, especially in a time when the Constitution is on life support, death by a thousand blows. You know, the the First Amendment, I talked about that for the last month, the censorship of this show, the demonetization, the war on conservative Christian shows. It is staggering. And it is our job to stand up to this and fight for the right of free speech and a Second Amendment to protect the right of free speech. And you know what my quick thoughts on gun control? Most gun control arguments, they miss the point. If all control boils fundamentally to force, how can one resist aggression without equal force? How can a truly free state exist if the individual citizen is enslaved to the forceful will of organized aggressors? It can't. And I've got a newsflash for all those gun-grabbing cronies out there because every false flag that we see, it's all about gun control. What did Hitler say about gun control? To conquer a nation, you must first disarm its citizens. Oh, and FYI, you don't need 30 rounds to hunt. That's the big argument, remember, with these 50 cals? Yeah, I got a statement on that. That's correct. You don't need 30 rounds to hunt. But the Second Amendment was not written in case the deer turn against us. So you can stick that in your pipe and smoke it for all these gun-grabbing cronies like 
good old Diane Not-So-Feinstein and her little pal, the little demon nasty Pelosi out there. Every other day, there's a new gun grab. And then you got these Hollywood minions talking about it all the time. Why am I mentioning all this? Because, you know, we live in a time where every single constitutional freedom and liberty, the Declaration is under all-out assault. And it's really time that we grab a backbone. You know what? The time for apathy and complacency is over. As far as I'm concerned, it's time to get your pitchforks out. And I said that last night on a show I did with, by the way, if you want to go back and check this out, I talked about the Paris Climate Accord and uh, I had a few things to say that were a little shocking. I got some emails back from that. But if you want to hear that, I was on the third hour. That's hour number three on last night's Hagman and Hagman. So if you go back to June 5th, you'll see that there. Well, hey, I want to jump into my show because, as I said before, boy, conservatism. (laughs) I have an awesome Christian conservative friend joining me tonight. He is the national best-selling author of Conservative Comebacks to Liberal Lies. And a book that I love, 40 Things to Teach Your Children Before You Die. What an amazing little book this is. This is a must-have. He is a former radio host on WRKO in Boston and KDAR in L.A., an accomplished speaker, speaks to groups nationwide. His articles have been published in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Times. He's been on C-SPAN, Fox News. I could go on and on. I have the privilege of meeting him in person. What a great guy. It is my friend Greg Jackson. Greg, welcome back to the show. It has been way too long, my friend. Yes, it has, Sheila, and it's always, always a pleasure breaking bread with you and talking about this crazy world that we live in, trying to make sense of it all. Boy, making sense of the craziness, indeed. I've been saying lately, the crazy train has left the station. It is just flat out insanity. And you know, here's the thing, actually interesting that you say that, because a lot of people I'm finding a kind of a tone in my email, I'm being told it's other radio hosts are saying this you know what, it's just time to check out. We're abandoning ship. We're abnegating. It's time to step down, surrender. I know there's a couple of show hosts that just, you know, they're checking out spiritually, emotionally, throwing in the towel, folding up like a cheap tent. People really are withdrawing. I think they're just getting so inundated and overwhelmed and hit with the kitchen sink, recoiling, withdrawing. They're just checking out. I'll tell you what, we better not check out because this is the time to stand and fight and hold ground. You know, and it reminds me of what I just said with D-Day. These men made the ultimate sacrifice to take ground and hold it. Do you, Christian, have what it takes to do the same? The tide has turned. It's time for the army of God to hit the beaches like Normandy and take ground and hold it at all costs for the kingdom of God. It is not time to check out. I get that people are overwhelmed, but it is time to grab a backbone, grab a spine, grab some testicular fortitude, stand up, speak up, show up. What is going on with these people that are just checking out here, Greg? I mean, am I being too harsh? Is that a fair question? Well, no, it's a relevant question because I think, you know, to be honest, I mean, even there there are times when I'm, it's just too overwhelming for me to listen to the news and all the crazy headlines and crazy things that people say and so I think it is somewhat normal to feel overwhelmed, but you know the, the the bottom line is that the scriptures direct us to endure. The Bible says to not grow weary in in doing good works yes. and to continue to have that oil in our lamps 
because we know not the day whether the Lord tarries or comes back tomorrow. The bottom line is that we have an obligation to continue to let our, sh- our lights shine before men. And, and that means that first we have to know our identity in Christ, that we already have complete and total victory in that when you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus, you repent of your sins, you ask him in your heart to be your Lord and your Savior, at that very moment you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, the book of Ephesians says, and you are saved. So, Sheila, when you have that, when you have eternal salvation with God forever in heaven, you have complete and total victory and forgiveness of your sins. And so when you start from that standpoint and you realize that, you know, the scriptures say that we're here for just a, just a brief moment in time in the grand scheme of things, then you realize that, you know, with all of the craziness that is going on in the world, you know, we as Christians should be different. Yeah. We should act differently. And the last thing that we should ever say is, I'm checking out. Now, I can't understand people who say, I'm checking out in terms of I'm going to be less involved in the media and the headlines and more involved in the Word, in studying the Scriptures, and in fellowship, and in prayer, and in uh, serving others and uh, really, you know, spending more time with our families, that I can understand. But checking out in terms of not being involved in the world anymore, not giving a darn and not fighting for truth and righteousness and exposing the wicked deeds of of, of darkness as we're commanded to do in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, right? We're supposed to expose the deeds of darkness. That doesn't say when it becomes too dark, you stop. No, it's, it's a command. It's an ordinance that we are supposed to, as Christians, shine the light of truth in the dark spaces with the hopes that we will bring people to the realization of the truth that will set them free and... That's really the the job description, I believe, Sheila, of a Christian till our last dying breath, which is whether I live a day, a year, a week, whatever it is, 10 years, 100 years, our job description never changes. And I don't believe the scriptures give us an alternative to, quote unquote, check out. Yeah, that's right. Right? Because we're supposed to be the body. We're supposed to share the good news of the gospel to all four corners of the world, wherever the Lord gives us a platform, wherever he gives us opportunity. And for me, I see these days that we're living in as crazy as they are, Sheila, I see them as an incredible opportunity right now. I believe that the, the witnesses that are in heaven that are, that are seeing all of this are jealous if that's possible, that we, this generation, you and I, could be the the last generation uh, that that, uh, is around during the the second coming of our Lord, the end of, of the age. And I believe that that's where we are. And I grow more and more sure of that as each day passes. I don't think the Lord could make it any more clear, our loving Father in heaven, He's giving us these signs in the heavens. He's giving us prophecy. Biblical prophecy is falling into place. So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be scared because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we should be, to the best of our ability, praying that the Lord would give us opportunities to bring people into the kingdom because that's our calling. And if we're doing it, 
And we're, we're doing it regularly and praying for those opportunities and then being obedient when those opportunities present themselves. That should be the most fulfilling thing, I believe, in a Christian's life. Let me give you an example. Yesterday, my lower back was killing me, and I had to get like an emergency massage. I don't know if you've ever gotten an emergency massage where you got to go down. And uh, so I went down to Massage Envy, and I uh, got a massage. And uh, the, the, the gal who was doing the massage, we got into a talk about you know, the world and everything that's going on. And she found out that my son goes to uh, school. He goes to a Christian school down near where she grew up. And she said, oh, I used to go to that church. And I heard they got a new pastor, but, you know, I, I, I said, what do you think of him? And he said, well, I, I'm not really, I don't really like him that much. And I know this new pastor is a feel-good, touchy-feely, cooler-than-God. Basically, the church has become an emergent church, a seeker-friendly emergent church. And to hear a young 20-something you know, she had the tattoos. I'm not passing judgment on people who have tattoos. I'm just saying that she didn't necessarily look look like a churchgoer. Um, massage therapists don't tend to be, at least here in Denver, in my experience, it's kind of like a, a subculture here in Denver. But the point I'm trying to make is that when we got to talking, it was interesting that she didn't like the church as it is today, but she said that she loved the old pastor that she used to, her parents used to bring her to when she was like 10 or 11 years old. Now, this pastor, his name was Jim Dixon, was a, I would say, a fundamentalist a preacher of the word. And that's not a pejorative. That's a, he, he taught from the Bible. He clearly explicated the scriptures. There were no ballerina dancers dancing during the Christmas service like happened uh, right. a few months back where people were scratching their heads going, what the heck is this? But my point is this, that I'll just wrap this story up. But, you know, I, what I realized was I sensed that she was really turned off by modern day Christianity, the seeker friendly prosperity gospel, word of faith, you know, new apostolic reformation, all these people doing crazy, weird stuff. She didn't want any part of that. But what I also sensed was that she had a taste of what real Christianity was all about, and that to her was appealing. And I had the opportunity yesterday, because she mentioned that, and we got in that discussion, to share the gospel with her. I did it in a very conversational manner, just sharing my own testimony, and I know that it was an opportunity the Lord had presented me with. And I pray that, you know, I don't know if she's saved. Um, you know, she lives with her boyfriend here in Denver. It's a very liberal town. I don't know what she's into or anything, but I do know that I had the opportunity to share the gospel with her. And that's the type of thing, Sheila, that I'm talking about. As times grow darker, people are going to be asking for answers. They're going to be looking for truth, real truth. I mean, when times get really dark in the United States and around the world, when the, when the banking system collapses, and you and I both know it's inevitable, it's not an, an if but a when, and when the EBT cards go down, and when there are, who knows, the power grid goes down and wars and rumors of wars, I don't know what's going to happen, but I fear that we're getting close to those times, uh, you know, and that they are imminent. And when those things go down, Sheila, I believe that the body of Christ is going to have an amazing opportunity to share the gospel, to be a bright light in a very, very dark world, and that the Lord is going to equip us. He's going to enable us to 
to have supernatural strength that up until now, I, I don't even think we can fathom the types of things that the Lord will do through the body of Christ in these last days. And that's why, uh, you know, the doom and gloomers can say, you know, I'm checking out. But what I'm saying is I'm getting ready to fully engage in the battle and use me wherever the good Lord wants to place me on the front lines. Yeah, here, here. Amen. How fitting, especially. Well, today is D-Day, 73 years later. And You know, the time for playing games is over here. When is the army of God going to hit the battlefield and storm the enemy's camp and take ground for God's kingdom? The problem with your feel-good, seeker-friendly emergent churches, as you just alluded to, Greg, is the fact that they're on a playground when we need to be on a battleground. You know, it is time. It's time to stand up and speak up, show up, gear up, armor up, man up. It's time to, as I said on my show yesterday, get some testicular fortitude here, men. God is looking for an A team, and he's working with a subpar D team at best. God doesn't need a bunch of politically correct water boys like we have way too many of those right now. I saw these Christians. Oh, you know, we just got to love these Muslims into submission. Oh, yeah, let's give radical Islam a group hug, shall we, Greg? You know, you look at this these atrocities in London. And meanwhile, the degenerates like Theresa May and Katy Perry, who should get together, because their slogan is, no borders, no barriers, coming from two women living in a gated community. Oh, that's priceless. I got a new slogan for them, Greg. No barriers, no borders, no brains. <laughs> no borders. I mean, these cliches are just absolutely. Yeah, and, and what I think we're seeing with a lot of these types of things that you just mentioned with Katy Perry, Miley Cyrus, um, you know, Hillary spoke today. It's almost like the, 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 the God-hating left is literally going insane before our very eyes. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm seeing is that people are literally losing any iota of common sense that they may have once possessed and that we're, we're, we're bordering on just an unhinged, pretty large segment of the, of the population, at least here in the United States, well, and around the world, that is just becoming literally unglued and unhinged. Do you sense that as well? Oh, unhinged is an understatement, I think. It's just, it's flat out crazy town, insane asylum, three ring circus. <laughs> yeah, that's a better term for, to describe it. Yeah, it's just boy. Well, you were talking about your son going to a Christian school. Listen, I sent my son to a Christian school for a while, and it was very expensive, and it was worse than the public school, sadly. If people out there have a good one, great. But my experience, never again. And what's really sad to me, Greg, is men and women, moms and dads are sending me examples of things that are being taught to their children. Yeah, this is in a Christian school. How to learn to say the Islamic prayer? How to praise Allah? Are you kidding me? You know, it's just this steady diet, a commie core, that socialist Marxist mishmash from hell. And then on top of that, you got all these mindless minions that are teaching our kids about Darwinism. Our little kids are getting indoctrinated in a steady diet of all this stuff right out of the pit of hell. But parents won't step up to the teachers. Whatever happened to our men, in fact, well, I just did a show on that yesterday called Why Men Aren't Men, and it's a very controversial show, but I'm going to tell you what, you need to go back. Every single person, men and women including, needs to listen to this show. It's called Why Men Aren't Men. I'll tell you what, we've got these role reversals. There's close to 60 different kinds of gender titles now. 
You know, we've even got cross-dressers coming to school now. I'm sure everybody saw those articles where let's invite the local transgender drag queen into our school to read the kids' scaredy squirrel. Hi, everyone. It's Sodomite Circle Time with our guest, Darren the Drag Queen. What is wrong with this? And hey, you know what? If you're not a flag wave and I'm going to join my local gay pride event this week, we support gay pride. We support the LGBT movement. And guess what, Greg? If you don't support it, we're going to follow suit with Canada and declare to all parents in the new law, if you don't support the LGBT, we're going to take your kits away. I've been warning for years that this is coming, that this whole LGBT agenda was an attempt at a raw power grab to strip Christianity and our ideals and our values and beliefs right out of society. Because folks like Sheila and Greg, we don't need those kind of backwards thinking people. Boy, Satan's got God's order flipped right on its head, Greg. Well, I think that it goes, you know, we go right back to the scriptures. When you remove God from the society, you remove the natural order or any respect for the natural order. And the natural order being the Godhead, right? Right at the top. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then underneath the male is in the Bible is termed the, the priest of the home. And, uh, and then the female, and then the kids. I mean, that's God's natural order. So men are not higher than women because we are better than women. Men are higher in the natural order because that is how God ordained it to be. And men are supposed to sacrifice themselves in the same way that Christ loved the church and died for the church. We as men are supposed to sacrifice ourselves and have a sacrificial love for our wives and our children that if we had to, that we would die for them. And that has been lost in our society. The natural order, God's natural order has been replaced by, you know, a totally demented, perverted, distorted natural order where there is no order because we know that the devil himself is the father of lawlessness and disorder and chaos. And so any nation, I mean, think about the United States of America, why we were so great for 300 years of American history, even preceding our our founding, which is that we're founded as a Christian nation, that we revered not just any old God, but the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose son is Jesus Christ. And, And people say, oh, Greg, what are you talking about living in a theocracy? Every country is a theocracy. And it it just depends on who your Theo is. And our Theo used to be the God of the Bible, who ordained his natural order. He ordained marriages between one man and one woman. And people understood, because we were biblically literate, and we understood God's word, uh, we understood the clear delineations between male and female. But Satan, having not ever invented anything or created anything on his own, tries to replicate or duplicate God's creation by distorting it and twisting it and manipulating it, has gone right to the very heart of what made our nation, and really all nations, great, which is a reverence for God's word and an obedience to God's word. And first and foremost, that the the natural human family is God's first institution that he ever created. Even even preceding the, the church, uh, which is the body of believers or civil government, it was the, the first form of government was the natural family. And that has all been but destroyed in this country. And I lay the majority of the blame, Sheila, for that at the church, at Christians, because we've forsaken our first love. We've disobeyed the Lord. 
The Bible says that judgment starts in the house of the Lord. So why are boys dressing up as girls? Why are boys wearing these little skinny pants and acting feminine all the time? Well, the majority of the reason for it is because we've rejected the one true God. I believe that when you reject the one true God and you reject his natural order and you disobey his commandments and ordinances, then you have a society that looks a lot like ours, Sheila, where you have gender fluidity and 97 other uh, sexual orientations. I got news for you. There's two sexual orientations, <laughs> chicks and dudes, males and females. That's uh, the only, and, 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 and look, Bruce Jenner can put on makeup and wigs all every you know day that ends in Y, but at the end of the day, he can call himself Caitlin, but he will always be Bruce. And he will always have that chromosomal makeup that makes him a male. He can never change that. And a society that has almost, but you know, totally rejected God becomes an insane asylum, an insane society. If you want an example of that, look at Nazi Germany, where the homosexuals comprised the large segment of the Nazi party were in control of that nation and deified and worshipped. And that's exactly where we are in many ways in the United States of America, Sheila, and that's why you have, uh, and, and I lay it firmly at the feet of the church, and especially males, abnegating their primary role as fathers, and I'm sorry if this comes across a little harsh, as the primary moral and spiritual in instructors of their children. And that's why I've always said, there's no, and well, Steve Quayle, I think, coined it, there's no political solutions for spiritual problems. Yeah. Our nation could look entirely different tomorrow, Sheila, if men started acting like men, especially Christian men, realizing their identities in Christ, being obedient to what God has called us to do, we could literally change, I believe, by just merely being obedient in our own homes, Sheila, just in our own homes, this country would look far different overnight. But what we've done is we've said, we've said, no, you know, it's just the way it is. The schools are going to teach what they're going to teach, but it's okay. Little Johnny goes to church on Sundays, so that'll reverse all the uh, homosexual, socialist, communist indoctrination that he's receiving the other five days of the week. And, you know, he knows that all that stuff is wrong and stuff, because that's what we teach him. Well, I got news for you. If you look at the latest Barna survey, almost 90% of kids that grow up in Christian homes and little Johnny goes to church on Sundays and they celebrate Christmas and Easter. But according to the latest Barna survey, they walk away from the faith by the time they enter college and are brainwashed by the 99% of professors who are overt Marxist, communist, atheistic, God-hating, quote-unquote, professors. They're brainwashed by them, and, and we can point the finger at the liberals and Nancy Pelosi and, and Barack Obama and all the liberals, but you know the bottom line is that we wouldn't have the nation that we have if we didn't leave the fight. And I believe that that happened probably in the 1960s, the 1970s. Christians, as I'll coin a phrase that you introduced this, this uh, discussion today with, they checked out, Sheila. Our parents' generation checked out for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Now, and I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. I know that there's but tens of millions of God-loving, God-fearing, you know, people in this country. And I believe that that, you know, that that's what's, you know, giving us some form of reprise or, or respite from God's total judgment on this God-forsaken, wicked and evil nation. But the bottom line is that it's, it's us. It's, it's Christians. 
We need to take a look at ourselves in the mirror because that's the reason that our society looks the way it does because we've allowed the enemy to kick our butts because we sit on the bench in a spirit of fear, not willing to step out and say, you know what? I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to be ashamed of my faith. And I'm not going to let my boy be indoctrinated in these Marxist madrasas by a bunch of queers in the school system, allowing them to tell my little boy that it's okay to put on makeup and wear wigs and that he needs to get in touch with his feminine side. And unfortunately, there are not enough men who are willing to stand up and do the right thing for their own children, much less other people's children. And that's, that's what I believe is the major problem in the United States of America and really around the world. Amen. Hear, hear. That was, yeah, well said. I mean, I could take that so many different angles, Greg. But the bottom line is the pulpit is responsible for it. Amen. That's what these demonized cabal, a.k.a. deep state minions, that's really what they want. They want a new world disorder, really. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, something's going to fill the void. Blaise Pascal said, and every man's heart is a a God-shaped void. So if the God of the Bible isn't the God of this nation, okay, then something else is going to fill that void. And that something else is really the, the, the pagan gods and goddesses that we worship. I mean, Psalm 106, when Israel turned their backs on the one true God and they started worshiping foreign gods, God gave them over to judgment. Well, God's template doesn't change. God doesn't change. His ordinances, commandments don't change. And that's what we've basically experienced in our country which is that we've said, you know what, we're, we're a diverse, multicultural society, and, you know, we got to change with the times. And when I say we, I mean the church. Most of the church is saying we need to, to accommodate, you know, cultural norms, and things are changing, so the church needs to accommodate the world. And the Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says that we're pilgrims, uh, we're strangers in a strange land, and that God never changes, His Word never changes, and we as believers are not supposed to accommodate the culture. We are supposed to be salt and light in the culture, to preserve the culture, but to preserve the culture for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our primary calling. And that's the most frustrating thing, Sheila, to me. In, in most churches right now, we're seeing gross apostasy. I mean, you ride by any church and you see the, you know, the, the gay flag hanging out in front of the church, you know that that's just an apostate church. Yeah. I mean, you just know, you don't even have to walk in, you just know it. And then there are the, you know, the seeker-friendly type of, uh, you know, word-faith churches. And, you know, in most of those churches, I doubt whether the pastors or preachers or whatever they call themselves are saved, much less the congregants themselves. And then you have, you know, I think a remnant, a small remnant. You know, we're, I'm fortunate. I go to a cavalry chapel here in, in Denver where our pastor refuses to accommodate the culture. And I know that people have walked out some of the things that he said, but 
that's what we're called to do. But I also know that there are people that go to our church, Sheila, they're tatted up and, you know, the nose rings and they're just coming out of being enslaved to drugs and prostitution, alcohol. We live right in the heart of the city here in Denver. And Calvary Chapel to them is a godsend because they've been in the gutter. They've lived in bondage to drugs and prostitution and and alcohol, and they know what it is to be free. They heard the real gospel. They responded to the real gospel, and and their lives have changed as a result of that. And so... You talk about the, the, the New World Order replacing God's order. Unfortunately, that's what's happened in our country, by and large, mostly because the church has, I think, in fear, tried to accommodate the culture, not wanting to be uncool, not wanting to be called a racist or a bigot or a homophobe, and Unfortunately, God will not bless that type of nation because God is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on a people or a culture or a nation. If we say we don't want, you know, we're we're going to make up our own Bible, we're going to make up our own rules, we're going to change things here and there, uh, God will just, he'll, he'll give a nation over to judgment. He'll remove his divine hedge of protection from that nation. And that's our central problem in this country. Amen. Don't you agree? Oh, I, what do you think? I totally agree. And the other thing is the devil has convinced Christians, most Christians, that he doesn't exist anyway. And by the way, the Bible is just nice, you know, allegory. You can't really take that stuff literally, Greg. And you said something really true in, earlier in the program. Judgment starts in the house of God. And if my people are called by my name, he's not talking about the world and the pagans there. And the other thing around back to the demons, I was telling a couple other guests that I had on, I was reading a a recent survey that surveyed a lot of Christian pastors were, were also included in this survey. They don't believe in demons. A very high percentage, like three quarters of the people don't believe in demons. They don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit. And that's the other thing. Most Christians, oh, you know, we don't need to really worry about water baptism as an adult. We don't really have to worry about baptism in fire. No, you do have to worry about it because guess what? You're not going to be casting out any devils without that power of the Holy Ghost. Like in the book of Acts, what do you think happened at the day of Pentecost? It tells us we will speak with new tongues. Being filled with the Holy Ghost, that is evidenced by speaking in tongues. That isn't even open for discussion. And, you know, it's really ironic that Satan will have people argue about that because, of course, he doesn't want you speaking in your heavenly language. You commission angels with those tongues. So this is another big thing. The reason I talk about Mark 16 like a parrot is because Mark 16 It's not the great suggestion. Jesus himself gave us a great commission. We're supposed to preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Not they might. We'll see what happens. No, they are to recover. But that's because we also don't have faith to go along with everything else. So we don't have the proper doctrine. We have doctrines of devils. We don't have any faith. We're living in fear. All this stuff has got to stop. We are called to go out in all the world, preach the kingdom, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover, cast out demons. This isn't Applebee's where you can just pick and choose what you want. No, this is the word of God. You either do it all or you don't. Oh, I think I'll fast ice cream and Twitter. No. This is ridiculous, Greg, how we've become so numbed and dumbed and everything's so watered down that it's absolutely, it's appalling, Greg. Absolutely. And speaking of of scripture in my devotional this morning, Numbers chapter 14, verse 24 really struck me, Sheila, and I think it's pertinent to what we're talking about. It says, but my servant Caleb 
because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. And that really hit me hard because, you know, everybody knows the story of the spies. They went in, they, they spied it out in 40 days, and they came back and they gave a, a report. We can't, you know, we can't enter the land. But they didn't trust the Lord. They, they were disobedient, rebellious spirit. And then Caleb and Joshua go in there and they're like, yeah, we can do it. We can, we can take this thing, you know. And I love how their faithfulness and they're just, just you know, simple faith. Uh, that that it says that God says Caleb because he is a different spirit and has followed me fully I will bring him into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it and that's that's really the the key is that you know everybody says I think you mentioned earlier you know everybody will say oh yeah I'm very spiritual blah 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 every and and we all are because we have a spiritual side the the question is does the Holy Spirit reside within us or is it because any other spirit is a demonic spirit right right. so but Caleb had a spirit a different spirit the Lord says and he's followed me fully and so when when you think about like you know, our nation, that, that was what made America great. You know, Donald Trump talks about making America great again. What well, ain't going to become great again unless we have a bunch of Caleb's or people that have that same spirit and are just simply obedient to the Lord. And you, you talked earlier, um, Sheila, about there's a sense of despondency, which I can understand. People are checked out. Well, you know, the thing I've been asking myself recently is, you know, and, and really in prayer is, Lord, what can I do in my own sphere, yes. in my own family? Yes. Those are the opportunities that we need to be praying for. As, as you know, I, I wrote a book for my son a couple of years ago, 40 Things to Teach Your Children Before You Die. That was like a simple thing that I wrote just for my son, which fortunately others have benefited from. I know there's a lot of Sunday school schools that, that teach from it to, to kids. A lot of parents have purchased for their kids. It's basically the opposite of what the world teaches on a whole host of different issues from a biblical perspective, but that was one simple act of obedience that, um, you know, really, I think the Lord inspired me to, to do, to write for my son, to share with him. And, and I, I bring that up only because I, as an example of in my life, you know, that I think that there, there are things that we can do no matter how dark it looks, we are to be different, we're to be possessed by a different spirit and to be obedient with the knowledge that the Lord will what? What did he say about Caleb? He says it because, verse 24, he says, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. And that's what we're all striving for, Sheila, right? To go into the promised land. Now, our promised land is we want to go into eternity and not be staring down at our shoelaces when we're standing before the Lord, when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, I want to stand there and, and be able to look at my Lord in the eyes and know that I did whatever I could do with whatever he gave me uh, uh, an opportunity, whatever he gave me the, the substance to do in my life. No matter where you are listening right now, you don't have to have a radio show like Sheila has. You don't have to be a, an author writing books, but certainly right now, everybody has the opportunity to at least ask the Lord, Lord, where would you have me? You place me where you want me. And I can guarantee you that if we just have that little faith and obedience, which is what Caleb had, just a childlike faith, that that is what I believe uh, empowers us as Christians and is going to be able to 
enable us to endure in these days that we're living in. It's just simple, simple faith and obedience. And these are exciting times, and it's not time to check out. I believe now it's time to go deeper. I believe that this is what, what the Lord is calling his people to do, is to know your identity in Christ, and know, we know how the story ends, so what are we afraid of? We, I think, need to not, you know, Ephesians, you know, the full armor of God in, in, in the book of Ephesians. That's a, not just some like, okay, I've got to put on the helmet of salvation, you know. I, I believe what the Lord is calling his people to do is to really step out in faith and to really trust him uh, in, in these times because he's revealing to us the evil in a way that I've never seen in my life. And I believe it's going to escalate significantly. You know, I listened to a, a recent interview with uh, Michael Lake and, and Steve Quayle, and that was one of the most powerful interviews I've, I've ever heard. It really opened my eyes to the fact that God is, he is exposing the, the evil and the darkness uh, like no other time in, you know, in, that I can remember in my lifetime. And we're seeing that with Hillary Clinton. That, I mean, these people are demon-possessed. <laughs> these are demoniacs that need exorcism. I mean, they, they need Jesus, uh, you know. But my point is that I think that the Lord is doing us a favor because he's revealing, I believe, the evil for what it is. There's, there's not going to be any hiding for, you know, whether it's John Podesta and the spirit cooking and the pedophilia, or the, uh, the truth is going to come out one way or the other about who killed Seth Rich. Of course, I believe it was uh, folks in the DNC affiliated with the Clintons who seem to specialize in these types of, uh, you know, offings. It's going to serve Sheila as it's going to serve to demonstrate clearly who the real Christians are. The real Christians are going to be able to be supernaturally equipped to be able to confront that type of evil, but those who go to the, you know, the seeker-friendly churches or you know, they go to Joel Osteen's church and they've only heard about how great the future is and it's 1950s again in America and those people who are like, oh, well, Donald Trump's elected, we don't have to prep anymore and you know, it's, it's, it's going to be like uh, the Reagan era all over again. Those people are going to find themselves on sinking sand, shifting sand, not the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And I believe that even God is going to use the manifestation of evil that, that we're seeing right now to clearly, what does the Bible say? And men's hearts failing them for fear at the things that are coming on the earth. And so I haven't even talked about the, the Nephilim and the giants uh, and, and, and all of the entities that, you know, if you're not grounded in Christ, you ain't going to make it. So my hope for your audience, two things, Sheila, if I may. One, to encourage your audience, which is if you're not saved, if you don't know that you know that you know that if tonight, God forbid, you died in your sleep, that you'd wake up in the arms of Jesus, that today would be a day of salvation for you, that you'd realize that you'd acknowledge your sin. And if we're going to be honest with each other, we, we, we're all sinners. We've all lied. We've all cheated. We've all stolen. We've all, uh, you know, looked at a uh, member of the opposite sex lustfully or even maybe the same sex. Uh, so we all realize that we've all fallen short of God's standard, which of course is perfection. And so if we, if we acknowledge your, if, if you acknowledge your, your, your sin and you receive the free gift of salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ, God's one and only son 
who died for your sins and the sins of the world, that when you call on his name, receive him as your Lord and Savior, that you don't have to be afraid anymore at all of the craziness that is happening in the world, that you could know with 100% assurance that when you breathe your last breath, that you will go directly into the loving arms of Jesus forever, for eternity, and be forgiven of all of your sins. That doesn't mean that we don't continue to sin during our lifetime, hopefully less and less. Hopefully we undergo the sanctification process and uh, hopefully look and sound more like Jesus during our lives. That's how we're supposed to, to grow in our faith. But the bottom line is it takes a first step. And if you are not saved, I pray that today would be of the day of salvation for you and get a Bible. Maybe start out reading John's gospel and finding a group of believers who you can have regular fellowship with. Uh, churches that have Christ-centered you know, Bible-believing churches are few and far between, but hopefully you can find one. And grow in your faith because that's the only, Jesus is the only answer. He's the only truth. He's the only way. He's the only life. And no matter what, what you're going through, you're a prostitute, a drug, you know, drug addict, uh, an adulterer, it doesn't matter what your sin is. He died for it all. There's only one sin that is unforgivable or that is unpardonable, and that is rejecting his free gift of salvation. It's called blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I pray that nobody listening would be found rejecting the greatest deal in the world that you could ever think of, which is salvation in no other name under heaven but Jesus Christ. The, the second group of people, Sheila, that, that I want to say something quickly to is, if you're a believer and you're discouraged and you're quote-unquote checking out, I hope that some of the things that Sheila and I have talked about will encourage you that, you know, the bottom line is that there are rewards in heaven. And there are a lot of people on this earth, in your family, your friends, your coworkers, who are not saved. And, you know, we don't know when we're going to breathe our last breath, but my hope is that your listeners who are saved, instead of checking out, check in, get on the front lines and say, Lord, where could you place me? What opportunities could you put in front of me where I could help lead somebody to you? And I believe that that when we, when we do that, we're obedient in the little things. God will expand our territory. He'll give us more favor. And that's what I live for in my life are those opportunities because that's all that's really going to matter when we breathe our last breath and are in heaven. Because, as I said before, the Bible says that there are rewards in heaven. You know, I don't want to just make it by the skin of my teeth, Sheila. I want to be able to get there, and I want to be able to, to be able to run into people and have people say, you know, I heard you on Sheila Zielinski's show, and I'd never heard the gospel before, and I was about to commit suicide, and I, then I found out that I didn't have to do anything. I just had to just acknowledge my sin and ask for forgiveness and believe on the name of Jesus and could be saved, and my whole life changed. And then after that, I, I became a missionary. I taught Sunday school, and I made a difference in other people's lives. That's what we're here to do, Sheila. And God bless you for what you're doing because you're not checked out. You're on the front lines. You're the one who's utilizing every resource that God is giving you and this, you know, this platform that you have to make a difference. So I pray that the weekend vigilante audience 
would come together to be greatly encouraged in these days, as dark as they may, because they're going to get darker. That's what the Bible says. It's not going to get lighter and better. It's going to get darker. We're not evolving. We're devolving. And that's exactly what God's Word says. So be encouraged, audience, and go boldly to the throne of grace if you've sinned. Ask for forgiveness. Get back. Stop beating yourself up. Stop condemning yourself. God will forgive you for whatever it is. Maybe you're backslidden or whatever, but I'm telling you, he can't wait for you to turn back to him and get right back on that path because he's got something brighter and better for you. And guys, don't give up on praying, praying in your war room. What does James 1.5 say? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. What does it do? It availeth much. Do a word study on what that means. And that's sad that a lot of Christians are just using it as a side note. You know, I'll just kind of throw a prayer out there and, you know, hopefully something will happen. No, people have to take prayer more serious, Greg, because... God has given us the rod of authority, similarly to what he said in in Exodus 14 there. Same thing. God doesn't change. Just because this society is circling down the toilet bowl, that doesn't mean that God has changed. And I'll tell you what, I always say this, and it's not some little phrase I throw out there. It's not some little cutesy statement. When life gets too hard to stand, kneel. Get your face in that carpet and you cry out to God. Pray with all your heart. God hears your prayers. And you don't see what's happening in the spirit realm. God is orchestrating things on your behalf, but you cannot see it. So if you can't see it, then you start giving up faith. No, this is the time to combat everything the enemy does with what? Well, just like our master, what did he do? Combated everything with the word of God. It is written. Oh, Satan, you want to tempt me? You want to test me? You want me to throw myself on those rocks? Yeah, nice try. Guess what? It is written. You start doing that when the enemy is pummeling you. You beat that devil down with the word of God. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I've been finding is that we wage, we battle not the, the flesh, but the powers and principalities and the heavenlies. And that's what the Lord has, you know, been revealing to me is that we need, I need to be in my prayer room more. And, uh, you know, because... And that's, you know, we talked about the way our nation is right now. I mean, how many times do you go to a church where you have an old-fashioned, uh, hey, we're going to meet on Wednesday and we're going to do a all-night prayer meeting? I mean, that's the way America used to be. So if you think about it, prayer requires silence. It requires shutting everything else off. It's something that you can't do while you're doing something else. And it requires complete dedication to the Lord. And that's probably why, at least for me, it's been the hardest thing to do because I'm ADD. I like to do 15 things at once and I'm a, I'm a male. But what the Lord has really revealed to me is, Greg, take the time to get on your knees before me. You know, prayer doesn't have to necessarily be on your knees, although I think that that's a good place to do it a lot of the time if you can. But, you know, it's something you can do sitting in bed. It's something you can do driving the car. You don't even have to have your eyes closed. You can just pray with people. And what I'm finding out in my own life is that prayer truly does change things. It's only taken me 17 years to realize what I thought was a cliche, but it's, it's true, which is that if you can just discipline yourself, even for five minutes a day, to pray for different situations in your life and people in your life, I can guarantee you that you will see God. I'm not saying immediately necessarily. Sometimes it could be immediately. Some breakthroughs. 
but I do believe that it is the most, and I know you've written a fantastic book on the power of prayer, and it should be you know, distributed far and wide in, in our nation, because that's really the answer, which is having real fellowship with God on an individual level. And, you know, Exodus 14, 14, I'll just read it for your audience. It says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. So that's what I found in my own life is that when we try to fight in the flesh, like in the political arena, not to say that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. I'm not saying that. But I think that that's one of the major shortcomings and, and downfalls of our country is trying to f- wage these battles in the in the flesh and with material weapons instead of s- the spiritual weapons that God has given us and that's why the pagans are running the government, running our schools, running most of the churches, virtually every aspect of society, the the culture, the the media. It's been given over because we've been waging the battle in the wrong place with the wrong weapons. And so if I could encourage your audience, I want to say amen to everything that you said, Sheila, in regards to spiritual warfare, because even in our own homes, if you're not seeing breakthroughs and you're not seeing, you know, you have strained relationships with, with family members or whatever, I've seen it in my own family that maybe instead of bashing them over the head with the Bible or harboring resentment against you know family members or friends, to just pray for them on a regular basis and watch how the Lord will fight your battles for you behind the scenes and also soften people's hearts, people that maybe never would have given you the time of day, you will see their hearts softening. And you'll see your own heart softening. At least that's what I've found in my life. The more that, you know, I've tried to, to uh, you know, I'll wake up, the Holy Spirit will wake me up in the middle of the night. I'll just lay hands on my wife while she's sleeping and pray for her. You know, I mean, that's something that I never used to do, but I've even seen, we've been married 20 years, but I've seen even things in our relationship, which anybody listening knows marriage is an ongoing process. No marriage is ever perfect. We have a pretty good uh, marriage, and I'm eternally grateful that the Lord has placed my wife in my life 20 years ago. Uh, but there are always things that, you know, are, are things that you got to work on. And I've, what I've noticed is that when I've prayed for my wife, wife and with my wife, that I've seen those things change. And I know that it's not me who's doing the changing. I'm not getting the glory. It's the Lord. And so I would just encourage your, your listeners to listen to what you, you said about the, the, the power of prayer. I mean, it's just, it, it, it does actually change things. I mean, there's a, an, another dimension out there. When we keep fighting, and even if you're battling you know, in your own life, you know, I've been t- one of my friends, Sheila, has been suffering with heroin and, and cocaine addiction for, I think, the past like 18, almost 20 years now. And I've told him every time we talk, you know, he's in and out of these rehab clinics, and most of them don't work because they're not Christ-centered, and there's a huge recidivism rate in most of these. And I've been telling him every time I talk to him, it's Jesus, and sharing the gospel and telling him that, you know, that's your only answer, and you will see your life change if you will just, you know, get born again. I mean, that's the answer, bottom line. Well, he texted me about six months ago and said that he met a girl, she's a Christian, and that he decided to give his life to the Lord and get baptized in the Nile River. Praise God. And, yeah, but, you know, so that's, I mean, that was after what? That was 18, almost 20 years. And so, and he said, you you know, you were right all along, but, and praise God, but that could not have happened unless 
something supernatural was happening to change his heart. And I believe that that was the result of a lot of people praying for him. Amen. We're two or more gathered. God is in the midst of our prayers. I'll tell you what, it is time to storm the enemy's camp. Let us take this D-Day as a reflection of hitting the beaches, folks. Let's hit the front lines. Battle up, armor up, suit up. It's game on, Greg, right? It's game on, absolutely. And we're just if you remember one thing from this time that we spent together, audience, it's uh, when you have Jesus, you have everything. When you have Jesus, you have everything. And he's given you everything that you need in life. There's nothing more than you need but him. He is life. He's the manna. He's the sustaining bread. He's the life. He's, he's eternal life. That's all you need. Jesus is all you need in your life. And be, I hope you're encouraged in that because, Sheila, let's face it, times are about to get really dark, really dark, like no time in history. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow, but I'm sensing that it is going to be sooner than most people think. So I hope that people are encouraged by you know, our discussion today, because as dark as it gets, you know, if, if you're a Christian, you are born for such a time as this to let your lights shine, not hidden under a bushel, but shining to the world because Jesus is coming back. That's the good news. We're spending eternity with him in heaven forever. But until that time, there will be trials, there will be tribulations, there will be persecutions. But keep looking up because your salvation does draw a nigh. Amen. Well, we're out of time. But Greg, I am so thankful that you came on this show. Such an encouraging message today. Thank you so much for taking the time out to come and visit with us today. God bless you. Thank you so much, Sheila. Folks, that was Greg Jackson, G-R-E-G-G-Jackson.com. There is a link to his incredible book. You have to get this powerful arsenal, 40 Things to Tell Your Kids Before You Die. Buy it. And of course, one of my favorites, Conservative Comebacks for Liberal Lies. Such a good book. His contact information is also on his website. Shoot him an email and let him know you heard him on the show today. What a really encouraging message. Boy, we have a fantastic lineup back-to-back this week. Michael Lake, Augusto Perez, Danny Morano. It just gets better and better. I want to remind you to please support this ministry through the Patreon account, GoFundMe account, my PayPal account. All that information is linked today in the bio. Please support this ministry. And I thank you in advance for that. Subscribe to my YouTube, follow me on Twitter, and like my Weekend Vigilante Facebook page. All that information is over there at weekendvigilante.com. Have a very blessed night, and we'll see you tomorrow. Good night, and God bless.